Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rorkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And welcome back to another entry in our Oscar Contender series. This time we will be talking about all of these sound categories, so best sound, best original song, and best score, and then also costume design and makeup and hairstyling. I'm excited to talk about all of these below-the-line categories today, get into some of these nominations, and dive a little bit deeper into what these categories mean, their history. And now that we've had all the nominations, we can finalize from the shortlists and just talk about each five in each category. What we'll be doing with each category, too, we'll be running through each nominee, and then we will be giving our write-in nominee who we think should win the category, and who we think will win the category. So hopefully that'll help with predictions moving forward through the season too. So the first category we'll be talking about today is Best Sound. Previously, we had Best Sound Editing and Sound Mixing, and this year we just have a combined category. And historically, I was trying to look back like when it split or if it wasn't, and this category has just evolved over time. It was mainly just best sound and then they introduced best sound effects editing and there was best sound and best sound editing so more of just the academy deciding okay let's combine them it has kind of evolved over time which was interesting to me yeah i think so too i listened to this interview discussion with the sound branch governors of the academy And they were talking about how this decision to combine was years in the making and it wasn't like some top-down decision where the, you know, academy just said, this is what you have to do this year. They actually sent out letters to the branch members and this is kind of where they felt it was going. And they had a lot of support from within the sound branch. And like you said, this category has evolved, but it's also, right, the technology has just evolved so much over the years and... Mm -hmm. It really is, I think, when you're thinking about sound in a film, such a team effort. And one of the things that one of the branch governors said in the interview that I thought was really interesting was that he had been on the side of winning an Oscar when his teammates didn't win the other sound Oscar and on the side when he Mm -hmm. hadn't won an Oscar and his teammates on the other side had won. And it was always just this kind of sad moment because you're always so dependent on your team and it's something you want to share and celebrate together. So I like that it went to one. I do think the Oscars should have more than 23 categories, but I think that this move was a good one. So the nominees for Best Sound this year are Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, Soul, and Sound of Metal. Starting with Greyhound, it was the surprise nomination to me But it was nominated at both of the sound editing and sound mixing guilds. So that's why I think we both put it into our predictions and it did end up making it. With the team here, Warren Shaw and David Wyman have their first nominations, but then two others have previously been nominated. So Michael Minkler has 12 nominations, which is crazy, and then three wins for Dreamgirls, Chicago, and Black Hawk Down, which except for Black Hawk Down, are very different films, but I think ones that this category does go for more often. So musicals, loud action, thrillers. 
And then the last one on the team is Bo Borders, who was nominated before in sound mixing for Lone Survivor. <laughs> kind of an oddball pick, which they also do go for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And to me, Greyhound is kind of that oddball pick in a year where we didn't have a lot of loud action films or war films. I think that it does have actually pretty good sound in it. I know from watching it, they had lots of like weapon sounds and the squawk boxes and the waves and the water. I feel like that must be pretty challenging. And I read that Michael Minkler spent an hour on a ship just recording these wave and water sounds to get them. So I think that's a pretty cool story. So moving along to Mank, our team here. So David Parker, he now has 11 nominations and he's won twice for The English Patient and The Bourne Ultimatum. Drew Coonan, it's his third nomination. He was nominated before for Life of Pi and Bridge of Spies. And Ren Kleiss, that's our big name here. We'll bring him up again later. But he is a frequent collaborator of Spike Jones and also of David Fincher, of course. I read that Ren Kleiss and David Fincher actually met while working on Twice Upon a Time, which was this George Lucas production. And Ren Kleiss said that they kind of clung to each other because they were the youngest people in the crew. And David was doing visual effects at the time, and he was working in the art department. So I love that that was the start of their relationship. He's been the primary sound designer in every Fincher film since Seven, and he has now been nominated nine times. One of the things that I read that Ren Kleiss said about this movie that I thought was really neat was that he wanted it to sound like you could hear it in this old cavernous room. He felt that that was what old movies sounded like. So what he did was he actually played the clean audio of the film in this big empty room and then recorded it and isolated the echo and then wove that back into the sound mix to give it that feel that it was like an Mm -hmm. older movie. And I thought that was really, really neat and creative. Yeah, I also read that. I'm sure the original track for this sounded amazing, Mm -hmm. and then they just re-recorded it so many times. They edited, Uh they added blips, and they kept changing it to make it sound like the sound did in Citizen Kane Mm -hmm. to give it that old movie sound, which is cool. And like until I'm reading the stuff about what they do, I don't really realize how much they edit and mix and change these audio tracks. Right, and... I saw, too, that the original sound was so clean and perfect that it was kind of sad for them to go back and kind of mess it up. (laughs) Because, of course, I remember one of the first things that I read about Mank was that Fincher said he wanted it to sound like something you would have found in Scorsese's basement. (laughs) So they had to get it to that point. Wow. So next up with News of the World. Your favorite film of the year. Yeah. (laughs) This is the only one I didn't go back and like watch snippets of to listen to the sound. <laughs> so Oliver Tarney, this is his fourth nomination. He worked on 1917 last year, which he was nominated for, and then No Time to Die, which will be coming later this year. So I think those are two really big films. The Bond film might also come into play next year even. Mm-hmm. So this could be like a three-in-a-row nomination for him. Mike Prestwood-Smith has one previous nomination for Captain Phillips. We do have quite a Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> this category is dominated by here. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
John Pritchett has two previous nominations for Memoirs of a Geisha and Road to Perdition. Oh my god, again. (laughs) (laughs) And John Pritchett was also the mixer on There Will Be Blood. If you need a film to watch, I would suggest There Will Be Blood over News of the World. (laughs) But... The sound work, I think, is is stunning, actually, in both mm-hmm. both movies. I don't really have anything to add here for what stood to me of the sound in News of the World, other than that I think in some of the bigger sequences, we have a shootout in the sandstorm oh, where God. he's looking for Johanna. We have some good sound work there. Um, mm-hmm. And in addition to mixing with the score, which we'll talk about in a little bit. All right. Our next nominee is Soul. So Soul actually had a similar team to Mank. So both Ren Kleiss and David Parker worked on both films. And I think what's really interesting about the work in Soul that I read was that they wanted to make sure that it wasn't too dark because they are dealing with this concept of the great before and of a character you know dying so they but they didn't want to make it seem too dark so for example when joe falls they actually use the sound of a bug zapper instead of like some big crash or anything like that Mm. and they wanted it to sound really just simple and organic and like you were in nature those were the sounds that they drew from which i thought Mm. was really nice Mm -hmm. when you think about the tone of the film and then the third collaborator here among many others they can only select a few people from the sound department to be up for the actual award so it's usually Mm -hmm. the supervising sound editor or sound mixer um, apart from many others but the third one here that is nominated is koya elliott and this is her first oscar nomination but she has won and been nominated among the motion picture sound editors and the golden reel awards before so she's worked with disney a lot but has also been on some fincher films very cool good combination <laughs> and then the last nominee sound of metal this is the first nomination for all five of the collaborators on this team which is really exciting for them and i think we'll get into that in a second why mm-hmm But I think they did an amazing job. Yeah, not to spoil, but we'll save some of the just excellent work that they did and the information about it for then. Before we get into who we think should win and who we think will win, what would your write-in vote be? So kind of similar to Greyhound, I would write in The Outpost here, which is one of those oddball choices from pretty early on in the year. But it's a war film that takes place in the desert. There's a lot of shooting, explosions, lots of dialogue happening. And there's a really long final sequence that happens. And I think it's pretty impressive what they do. Maybe even more so than Greyhound at times. But this, I don't know if it got any recognition along the way. Which would you write in? I don't really know if I'm allowed to do this, but since we're kind of making up the rules, I picked something that wasn't eligible for the Oscars to write in, and that is David Byrne's American Utopia. That, I think, outside of the five films that were nominated, had really interesting sound work. I think miking all of those performers Mm -hmm. and capturing all of that wonderful music from David Byrne and the Talking Heads. It sounded incredible. So I would have that be my write-in here instead of Tenet or The Trial of the Chicago 7 or any of the big ones like that. Mm -hmm. Is it not eligible because 
it's a pre-recorded show. So it's in the same boat as Small Axe or Hamilton, where they were given previous awards but are eligible for Emmys. So okay, I probably should have picked something different, but That's oh well. Okay. That'll give me a pass later on. I have kind of a <laughs> an iffy write-in. So you know <laughs> what? It's our on. it's our show. We will make the rules. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So who do you think should win the award? So I think that Sound of Metal should win the award. The sound work mm-hmm. is amazing. And without the brilliant sound design, the film, I think, would be nowhere near as successful and would not have connected to audiences in the same way. I think learning that they found the sounds of Riz Ahmed's body using a stethoscope and these really sensitive microphones to get his breathing and his muscle movements and really create this world where you can see this character's interior journey through suffering this profound hearing loss. I think you don't, you don't get that. You don't achieve that without this type of sound design. Mm -hmm. Who would you pick? I would also pick Sound of Metal. I think this was immediately the one facet of the film that I latched onto and was really mm-hmm. impressed by. I mean, you have this scene when they finally turn on the hearing aid and it's just so devastating. And I wonder even like their research behind that and getting that sound to sound how it does. So it's really small moments, but also big moments and how they use the lack of sound, but also sound at various volumes getting really loud in the beginning when they're playing their set Mm -hmm. and it's just really fascinating and who do you think will win the oscar i think this is why the sound of metal team being all first-time nominees is really exciting is because i think they're the front runner and they will very likely win this award i think so too and just a fun stat to throw in that i read no movie with sound in the title has ever lost best sound. <laughs> <laughs> so it might just be an easy vote for people oh who I know previously people in the sound branch had expressed frustration that, you know, when they would read these Hollywood Reporter anonymous Oscar votes that people would reveal that they wouldn't vote for the best sound Oscars because they didn't know the difference between editing and mixing. And in the same way, you know, if people in the field don't know what it takes to create sounds in movies, they might just see the title and vote for it. That's a big possibility. It is interesting to think of if they did still have mixing and editing categories, Mm -hmm. if it would win both awards. Or I wonder Mm -hmm. what other nominees would have made it in. Not something we prepped, so we don't have to go into this. (laughs) (laughs) I think we might see Tenet here. (laughs) Which we'll keep talking about later on. But yeah, I had not thought of that, but I think it's definitely possible. I think the sound work is such a standout in this film that it definitely could have won both. And I know we've talked to historically about how those Oscars often do go to the same film. So our next category that we'll be going into is Best Original Song. And I wrote in our outline that this has sadly been a category since 1934. (laughs) I'm really hard on this category. (laughs) I know that. But I do want to share one thing that I thought was so interesting was how people used to vote for the nominees in this category. So bear with me if you're not 
into nerdy Oscar trivia, but from 1946 to 2011, each member of the music branch of the Academy was asked to vote using this crazy point system between six and 10, and only those songs that received an average score of 8.25 or higher were eligible for a nomination. If no song qualified, there would be no nominees. So oh if we gosh. just had a group of bad songs, we wouldn't have any nominees at all. And then if only one song got an 8.25 or above, that song and then the song that received the next highest score mm-hmm. would be the two nominees. And usually the system resulted in five nominations, but in 2010, there were only four. In 1988, 2005, and 2008, we only had three. Hmm. And then in 2011, we only had two. I do not remember that. Neither did I. I was reading this and I was like, wait, don't we always have five? But we do not. And now we typically do just get five, but there is a possibility where we could get three um, or even zero. It all just depends on how many submissions there are. And there used to be up to 10 nominees, like way back in the 40s. That's crazy. Can you imagine having 10 songs nominated here? (laughs) That is the entire Oscars telecast. All the performances of the songs, and that's it. So the nominees that we got this year for this category, we got Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah, Hear My Voice from the Trial of the Chicago 7, Husevic from Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, EOC, Scene from The Life Ahead, and Speak Now from One Night in Miami. Just some little tidbits about each of the nominees here. Her saying Fight For You, and she was also in <laughs> Yesterday, which came out recently, which is really bad. But it was interesting that she also showed up there and Judas. Did you see Yesterday? No, I have not watched Yesterday. Since you told me it was really bad, yeah. I was like, I'll just add this you know, to my long list and maybe get to it one day. And I can't believe this is Daniel Pemberton's first nomination for Trial. I know. And it's odd that it's a song nomination and not a score nomination. I mean, good for him. Just very bizarre. With Husevic, we had the wrong Gorenson nominated for a sound category. (laughs) (laughs) Not Ludwig, but Rickard Gorenson here is nominated. And then for EOC... Diane Warren, this is her 12th nomination in 33 years. That's crazy. (laughs) So many. Yeah. And she tweeted, I think you sent this to our group. She has a necklace of Oscar (laughs) statuettes. (laughs) Yes. I love that she has a sense of humor about all of it. Yeah. (laughs) But maybe this will be her year. You never know. And then... Leslie Odom Jr., who sang Speak Now, and he ended up writing a lot of the lyrics. He's double nominated, but I was really surprised that he doesn't sing in his other 2021 smash hit, Music. (laughs) (laughs) He's somehow avoided all of the hubbub of the controversy with that movie. He did, because I didn't even know he was in it. I mean, granted, I didn't know music existed until the moment the Golden Globe nominations were announced. But when I watched the trailer and saw him in it, I thought, no, mm. Leslie, what are you doing? Why did you do this film? But I really didn't hear anything about him when all the music backlash was happening. 
he may have issued a statement. I didn't, I haven't seen anything just kind of surprising, but also good for him that he's not really associated with any of that. Mm -hmm. He really dodged a bullet there. (laughs) Another bad creative choice from Sia, I guess, of not including him in the music because (laughs) if you have Leslie Odom Jr., you know, use him. It's like when they decided not to give Jonathan Groff a full song in Frozen. Um, (laughs) But he got a little lucky there, I will say. So who would your write-in vote be? So my write-in vote would actually be Poverty Porn from the 40-year-old version. I really liked this film. I thought Rada Blank, the actress, director of the film, was just astonishing. I would watch anything that she is in, and I can't wait to see Mm -hmm. what she does next. But this song is a perfect example of, I think, what can go right in this category. If you actually reward something that is really creative and also an integral part of the story so i would pick poverty porn what would you pick so my song that wouldn't be eligible is running with the wolves from wolf walkers because it was previously released so it couldn't have been nominated this year if we were going by what could be eligible i would pick ultra luminary from over the moon which is a total bop i was just gonna say a bop (laughs) (laughs) and who do you think should win this category Part of me would want to give it to Husevik mm-hmm. because it's a really cool moment in the film mm-hmm. and emotional and done really well. The singer is incredible. But I also think Speak Now is a great song, too. And I think it's a great feat from Leslie. What about you? I agree. I would I would love to see Leslie Odom Jr. win an Oscar, but my pick here is Husevik. I love that it got nominated and... The fact that it's actually in the film and it's on an end credit song, I think, is part of the reason why I picked it because it really mm-hmm. works uh, within the film itself, which I think the film is pretty silly and just mm-hmm. pure entertainment, but I did really, really enjoy this song and this performance. And who do you think will win the award? I think that Speak Now from One Night in Miami will win. You know, this might change as we get really close, but... As of now, you know, this category, they go for big stars in popular films. And even though One Night in Miami missed the best picture lineup, I think that it was really well received by voters. And Leslie Mm. Odom Jr. is a really easy person to vote for. And it is a good song, even though it's an end Mm. credit song. What about you? I also think Speak Now will win. At least at this point, there are rumblings of Fight For You maybe like rising in the ranks. So I think a few of these predictions from our contender series may change that we will like fully solidify once we do our predictions episode before the Oscars. But as of now, Speak Now has won quite a few of the awards already. So I think this is the front runner here. So next up is Best Score. The nominees are Terrence Blanchard for Defy Bloods, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Mank, Emil Mosseri for Minari, James Newton Howard for News of the World, and then Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste for Soul. A great collection of nominees here, I think. Mm-hmm. I really like all these scores. The first one, so Terrence Blanchard for Defy Bloods. This was the shocker nomination of the morning. Mm-hmm. We talked about how we didn't really see to five bloods picking up any nominations. I think maybe we thought 
Chadwick was possible in supporting actor, getting that double nomination. But this was a big surprise. It is the only nomination for the film. Terrence Blanchard is Spike's frequent collaborator. He was nominated previously for Black Klansman. They used a 90-piece orchestra. And what they would do is they would play certain pieces from the score and then spike would show them a scene and they would like replay it with more passion once they had seen what was happening in the film at that part which i thought was really cool yeah (laughs) i always with so many of these technical awards i just think like i had no idea that this was how these people did so many of these things to just make everything come together in such a beautiful way it's Honestly, like not to sound like a child learning about this, but it's really magical to me just thinking about how everything happens and comes together. Yeah, one of my favorite like behind the scene videos that come out from films are when orchestras are playing and then you can see the movie in the background and they're in a recording studio and they're like matching up and conducting at the same time. I think that's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. So our next nominee is Mank. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are some of Fincher's frequent collaborators. They're obviously Nine Inch Nails, if you didn't know that, which is kind of crazy to think about. They have one previous Oscar nomination and win for The Social Network, which is a score that we both really love. And they also just need a Tony to get an EGOT, which is really cool. Wow. For both of them? For both of them, yeah. So they have Grammys for Nine Inch Nails and Oscar for The Social Network. An Emmy for Watchmen. So they just need a Tony. Hmm. So I really like the Mank score. But one thing that I thought about when I was thinking about the Mank score was how they, I guess, hadn't done the score until COVID hit. So they couldn't all get together like the Defy Bloods team to record it. Mm -hmm. So Trent and Atticus had to send out these music kits to all of the musicians and they then recorded all of their pieces separately, and they put it together. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's so impressive. Yeah. I have no idea how you would even begin to do that. There's a lot of editing going on. Mm-hmm. So this is Emil Mosseri's first nomination for Minari. He scored Kajillionaire from 2020 and then The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I think we both love as a score. Mm-hmm. He was also a member of the indie band The Dig. It's so funny. <laughs> a lot of like band musicians mm-hmm. becoming Oscar-nominated composers. That's cool. I like it. Yeah, and Emil Mosseri actually wrote all of the music completely based on the script. So <laughs> it was wow. written before they started shooting. He just was so inspired by the script. Mm-hmm. And... In working with Lee Isaac Chung, he kind of knew what he wanted and what he didn't want. But otherwise, the script itself was his sole inspiration, which speaks, I think, to the power not only of Emil Mosseri as a composer, but to the script of Minari. And we can't forget Yuri Han here, who sang On Rain Song and Wind Song, which are on the soundtrack I love her. Those are so beautiful. And I wanted Rain Song to get that Best Original Song nomination. But Mm. also, I like how Emil Mosseri tries to include a song in his scores. I think that's a nice little touch and Mm -hmm. his own kind of stamp on these scores. And as I think a composer who we're going to see a lot from 
coming up, which is really exciting to have like mm. a new young person in this category where I think a lot of times they respond better to the old guard of nominees. The old guard. <laughs> the old guard. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, in San Francisco, which is that song from The Last Black Man in San Francisco, I listen to this all the time. I think it's such a beautifully scripted song. Mm-hmm. And instant tears. Yeah. There's something about The Last Black Man in San Francisco score that just, ooh. It hits. <laughs> <laughs> So we also have the News of the World score, which is from James Newton Howard, and it's his ninth Oscar nomination. He has won zero Oscars. He has seven nominations for score and two for song, and he's really scored an eclectic mix of films, including The Fugitive, My Best Friend's Wedding, The Village, and Michael Clayton. (laughs) I think the News of the World score is really beautiful. It's much more contemplative, I think, than your traditional Western score, which maybe has some larger action pieces that go into it. This one is much quieter and more melodic. Mm. So it is a really beautiful score. So then with Soul, apart from Trenton Atticus, this will be John Batiste's first Oscar nomination for Soul. John is first and foremost a jazz and R&B musician who is part of the band Stay Human, who performs nightly with the late night show with Stephen Colbert, who he is also the musical director for. He's really cool. He just, I think, is a really important figure in the world of contemporary R&B and jazz and is a staple in pop culture. So I think Mm -hmm. it's really great that he teamed up with Trent Naticus here, who I really just think like it's crazy when you think about Nine Inch Nails as a band. When you think about their songs, like Closer or Head Like a Hole or anything like that, and you're like, how did these guys team up with John Batiste to make a score for a Disney film? It yeah. is great. <laughs> There's just so much range, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's so it's so wonderful. And all of the jazz in the film, that's John Batiste. And everything else in the score, that's Trent Atticus. I think that's an easy way when you're watching the film to think about the score or when you're just listening to it, because this is a great hang as a score, I think. So what would your write-in vote be? It has to be for Tenet, for Ludwig Gornson. Mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest snubs to me this year, but I am happy that the Five Bloods kind of took its place in a way. I have listened to the score over and over (laughs) since I saw the movie, and I think I might go buy it on dvd later on today so i can rewatch. <laughs> it's so funny how tenant really did become i think one of our favorite films <laughs> of the year um and i don't know if that's just because 2020 was 2020 and we were just so excited to have that movie but i did text our group and say that we were cowards for not putting it in our top fives yeah. <laughs> episode i think if we were to look back in like five years and do a top 10, I think looking back, I would put it in a top 10, mm-hmm. but like of a critical list of the previous year that is just finished, I mm-hmm. understand why we didn't put it in there. <laughs> yeah, I feel exactly the same way. So it's safe to say then that Tenet is also my answer here. Okay. I love this score. If you haven't listened to the score yet, go out and listen to it. I would see the movie first. I usually make sure I see the movie before I listen to the score, but oh my God, it's so good. It's a great score. 
the two songs I listen to over and over and over again are Trucks in Place and Posterity, which I would mm. play riding my bike and I felt invincible. <laughs> it's incredible. Ugh. So mine are actually Posterity also and Rainy Night in Talon. I love that okay. one too. And who do you think should win the Oscar? I think that Soul should win the Oscar. I think that when you're looking at Soul as a film, music plays a vital role. Mm -hmm. in Joe's journey in the story and it's a movie about a jazz musician but the score is so inventive it's so creative it's so emotional and you really understand what his journey is like and what this other realm feels like in addition Mm -hmm. to present day New York City so I would vote for Soul what about you I think it's really close I also love the soul score i've listened to this nonstop. i think Mm -hmm. there's so much energy and imagination in it which is just really fascinating to listen to Mm -hmm. but i think as a first time nominee i would love to see emil Mosseri win here like you said it's an appendage of the screenplay which i think is really cool how he created this and Mm -hmm. it's very moving and a nice backdrop to the images we see on screen, the nature of this family, the chaos and trauma and tragedy. It's a great score. I understand that pick completely. So who do you think will win the Oscar? I think Soul will win the Oscar. It has won a majority of the precursors. Mm -hmm. I think earlier in the season, I had doubts maybe, like will they go for a Disney film here? But it kept showing up everywhere. Mm-hmm. won the golden globe one critic's choice i think it's smooth sailing to the oscars what about you yeah i agree i think soul will win i think it is really deserving so next up we have best costume design and our nominees are emma ma rainey's black bottom mank mulan and pinocchio so with emma bennett prosser was Right here, you know, <laughs> he picked Alexandra mm-hmm. Byrne on his draft team. And this is her sixth nomination. She has previously won for Elizabeth the Golden Age, which is kind of funny because she was also nominated for Elizabeth, which is a different film. So she really likes these period Elizabethan mm-hmm. films. Both with Queen Kate Blanchett. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anne Roth, this will be her fifth nomination. And she previously won for The English Patient. And she is still kicking. She has other projects in the works. And she is 89 years old. It's very impressive. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And she, so if you are a fan of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, there's a great feature on Netflix that you can watch where they actually talk to a lot of the creatives that work on the film. And she is a delight when she talks about these costumes and how she put together this really neat kind of 20s flapper style, which I thought was really beautiful. We also have Mank, where Trish Somerville was the costume designer. This is her first nomination, and she also has worked on Gone Girl and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. If you can't tell by now, David Fincher likes his team. (laughs) (laughs) And then for Mulan... Our costume designer is Bina Daigler, and this is her first nomination. She's also worked on films like All About My Mother, Only Lovers Left Alive, and most recently, Mrs. America. And she is a frequent collaborator of Pedro Almodovar. 
So with Pinocchio, our costume designer is Massimo Cantini Perini, which is a beautiful Italian name. (laughs) This is his first nomination. He's mostly known for his work on Italian films like Dogman, but he also worked on that 2005 Brothers Grimm movie with Matt Damon and Heath Ledger, if anyone remembers that. I haven't seen that, no. (laughs) My God, it's just a, a relic of the aughts. And the fun fact here is that Roberto Benigni, who plays the role of Geppetto in this movie, played the titular role of Pinocchio in the 2002 version of the film, which was not received well by critics. <laughs> so this, to me, in thinking about like what was the best, who should win, who will win, I think this is a pretty tough category mm-hmm. because historically they kind of go for each of these movies in different years. And I don't really see large strokes of like, oh, they go for period pieces all the time. And I think a lot of the costume work here is really beautiful in very different ways, too. And I think one in particular, which we can talk about, is Mulan. <laughs> is maybe a cringe addition for us here on the pod Mm -hmm. because of previous statements made (laughs) yeah i think this is a a big self-own for us here so we are going to play a clip here from our episode about the live action mulan and disney plus but do you guys see this movie getting any nods just frankly i do not not even costume What's tricky there is that we have a lot of period films coming out this year. And I think while these costumes are good, I think that we have Mank, which is set in the 30s coming out. We have Ammonite, which didn't get Mm -hmm. great reviews coming out of TIFF, but still period drama. So even though the Academy hadn't changed the date of the Oscars when Mulan was initially supposed to be released, March is still a really early time for those nominations and you know once in a while we do see an early movie like get out end up being really well received and re-released but i really don't think mulan is that film this year so ryan you must feel pretty good right now yeah i think that the costumes in mulan are really vivid and elaborate you have the battle armor you have this like really lavish intricate costume work in different parts of the movie So you have a wide range of options, and we were being really short-sighted, I think, back then, and deserve (laughs) to be roasted now. So (laughs) congratulations to Ryan and the Mulan team. So what would your write-in be here? So my write-in vote would be for a clothing item called culottes, and for Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. (laughs) the culottes (laughs) i would also pick them they earned a nomination at the costume design guild which is pretty unexpected but there are so many bright pieces of clothing in this film that i think it's amazing that they did make it in yeah lots of midwestern coles inspired attire and great resort wear so i really (laughs) love this as a modern interpretation and selection And then who do you think should win? I think Mink should win. I think there are just some very stunning gowns and dresses and suits. And there are so many performers too. Namely Amanda Seyfried. But Mm -hmm. 
across the board. Everybody looks like they were plucked out of the 40s. And that is definitely a testament to Fincher's team. We're aligned here. I would also pick Mank. The circus party scene at San Simeon. Mm-hmm. All of their costumes are just yep. glorious there, especially Amanda, that feather outfit. I was like, I, I want to wear that anywhere. I would wear it to the grocery <laughs> store. And I also particularly love her dress near the end. So when she goes to Victorville to meet mm-hmm. Herman after she's read the screenplay for Citizen Kane, her outfit there is so beautiful. And the costumes were one of the things that really stood out for me when I watched the mm-hmm. film. So I would pick Mank. And then do you think someone different will win the Oscar? This is a really tough category to predict, but my prediction at this moment is for Emma. Like you said, it's really hard because in this category, they go for all of these right things at different times, but the costumes in Emma are really playful and bright and bold and really work with Autumn DeWilde's vision of the Emma that she wanted to create. And It is a costume drama, first and foremost, and that is what this branch really loves. So Mm -hmm. there are definitely some that are very close for me, and like you said earlier, could change my prediction later, but at this moment, I'm going to say Alexandra Byrne for Emma. What about you? Yeah, I think, kind of like I mentioned, sound editing and mixing before, I think costume and we'll get into makeup, I think this is the split here that's going to be really hard to predict and it's because all of these nominees here are period films and we know they don't really go for contemporary and there's no contemporary here to knock out mm-hmm. so my pick is going to be for ma rainey's black bottom i went back and skimmed through portions of this and there were so many more costumes than i remembered there are suits but i think they're really well made too and it's not only ma showcasing the gowns So I have them in here, and yes, we'll see if this changes throughout the next five weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the one I have at number two right now, so it's really Mm -hmm. just either one. Your comment about suits, if you've ever watched Project Runway, you know that menswear is extremely challenging. I think it might not be (laughs) something that you notice right away as, you know, quite as beautiful or as showy as the women's wear, but Mm -hmm. suits are really hard to make. So our last category for today will be Best Makeup and Hairstyling. So our nominees here are Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio. So we do have four crossovers with the costume category with Hillbilly Elegy replacing Mulan, basically. So a little bit about the creation of the Makeup and Hairstyling Oscar categories. After The Elephant Man came out, the Academy actually received a number of complaints that this movie wasn't recognized specifically for the makeup team's work. So then the next year, Mm -hmm. makeup artists were given their own category. And the first winner was An American Werewolf in London, which is a very 80s movie. And then in 1993, the award was shared with hairstylists. So that's when hairstylists were included in the nominees and winners. So as we go through these nominees, we'll let you know how many guild nominations they also received from the Mm. Makeup Artists and Hairstylists Guild. And Emma actually didn't receive any guild nominations, which 
I think was why this was a more surprising addition in the category. I think it's definitely mm-hmm. more of a hair showcase than makeup, mm-hmm. um, but definitely good work. I mean, the hairstyles are incredible. And their entire three-person nominated team here are all first-time nominees. And then with Hillbilly Elegy, it does have the most Guild nominations with three between all the different categories that they nominate for. And this will be Matthew Mungle's fifth nomination. He previously won for 1992's Dracula. And then the other person nominated is Patricia Dehaney, who won for Vice. That's a big one for makeup, for sure. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to that idea. So Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, this is a really cool fact that you included, but Mia Neal and Jamika Wilson are the first two black women to be nominated in this category. And this team won at Critics' Choice. So definitely a good precursor to have under Mm -hmm. your belt, especially since we don't have the Guild winners yet. This movie actually got two Guild nominations. And then next up, Mank also got two nominations at the Guild. And their three-person team are also all first-time nominees. This is really cool, too, because while I think there isn't intense transformation happening with these characters in regards to makeup or prosthetics, I mean, Gary Oldman basically just looked that bad. That's not prosthetics in this movie. (laughs) I think what the big learning curve was for this team was that they had to figure out what the makeup should look like in black and white. So Mm -hmm. they weren't taking color away. It was shooting in black and white. So they had to try and figure out what worked, what showed, test out a bunch of different things, which I'm sure was incredibly challenging. And I also read that David Fincher is notorious for hating hair in movies. He wants it to look perfect and still and shiny all the time, but... Mm -hmm. That's not how hair works. It moves. So they had a lot of challenges working with him on hair as well. (laughs) Netflix just released color photos of some of their behind the scenes work, especially with makeup, some with costumes. But in their FYC campaigns, you can see the comparisons and how difficult this must have been really having to reprogram your brain and thinking in black and white in terms of color and textures and I read about one of the makeup artists here basically not fighting with David Fincher, but because he's so in tune with every facet of his movie, he knows specifics of what he wants, but also gives all these designers, say, the freedom to roam within his box. And she actually said, like, no, I think this lipstick color would look better based on shine or whatnot. And she actually got her way on that thing so that not only speaks to fincher's craft again and being so good at what he does but also how these makeup artists and hairstylists were really good at what they did and could even do better than fincher say in Mm -hmm. certain aspects so i love that i think that's great that's a good tidbit about one of the women working with fincher that she got her way and and knew best about the makeup And our last nominee is Pinocchio, which had one Guild nomination. And Marc Coulier led that team, and he actually won for both the Iron Lady and the Grand Budapest Hotel. He has a 100% track record when he's nominated. So, 
could this be three for three? But what did you think about the makeup in Pinocchio? I really loved it. There's a little FYC video too that we can post with the pod and just looking through what they do. And it's not even only for Pinocchio. Every single person or animal in this movie has such incredible makeup done. It's mind-boggling to think of the process that the people went through every day to apply and take off and reapply all of these different prosthetics for the movie. And they look so real. I mean, he really does look like a wooden boy. He looks like a CG creation Yeah. at times. Like, he Mm -hmm. does not look like a real child wearing that makeup and those prosthetics. It's really, really good work. And, you know, we can maybe talk about the movie at another time and how successful it was, but this was definitely the most successful component of Mm. the film. I was going to say, I wish the movie were more rewatchable because I would 100% revisit watching it for the makeup in 10 plus years because I think it's not going to age like CG does. Right. But I'm not actually sure I will be revisiting this movie. (laughs) I feel the same way. (laughs) So what would your write-in vote be in this category? So I would write in Borat's subsequent movie film. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. I think they use prosthetics and masking Sasha Baron Cohen really well. It's fascinating to me because this was the first time we got Maria Bakalova really Mm -hmm. in any movie. And I had no idea what she would look like without makeup or wigs or prosthetics on. When I saw her headshot, I was blown away. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that speaks to the team here and, you know, Sasha performing in front of an actual Trump crowd and people not recognizing him is wild. So I think they could have deserved a nomination here. I agree. That's a great pick. My pick would be Jingle Jangle. So it did make the short list, but I really think, so usually this is, a category that rewards prosthetics and Mm -hmm. a lot of makeup and jingle jangle to me was a hair showcase and a lot of the hairstyles were really memorable to me after I watched this movie and I thought the way that they decorated the hair for Christmas and really had it work into this really creative holiday musical was I think really stunning work in the hair department and jingle jangle got one nomination at the guild and Borat actually had two. So maybe I'm a little surprised that it didn't get in yeah. at all, especially with Emma having zero. The Academy must have just really liked Emma, but they also mm-hmm. really liked Borat in other categories. So <laughs> strange. <laughs> Unclear. And who do you think should win the Oscar? So we already touched on this, I think, and hinted at it, but I would definitely say Pinocchio. This work was stunning and Mm -hmm. i think when we think about this category it's what you want to see just peak creativity and artistry and you want to be i think tricked in a lot of ways here so i would pick pinocchio i would also pick pinocchio they don't historically go for the really oddball films i don't even know if they've had an international film show up here in a while but it's definitely the one that i would choose if i had a ballot So an international example that I can think of, which had great prosthetic makeup, but didn't 
win was Border. Do you remember that movie? It lost to Vice, right? Which was crazy makeup. Yeah, I honestly liked Border. And I thought the prosthetics were really good. I'm surprised it lost. To me, Vice is kind of a one-person prosthetic nomination. Mm-hmm. Because you're focusing it on Christian Bale's transformation into Dick Cheney. So who do you think will win the category? Do you think Pinocchio can pull it off? I'm not really betting on it, at least as of now. Maybe the race will change in the next few weeks, but I don't know if it will because of, say, Borders lost before. They do like to go for those transformation prosthetic looks, though. So you have Vice, you have Bombshell from last year, Mm -hmm. and then Darkest Hour, others, Dallas Buyers Club, Les Mis... The Iron yeah. Lady. So I think along those lines, I would lean towards Hillbilly Elegy. But I think the front runner right now is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is a little harder for me to see. Mm-hmm. So I'm still going to really vote for Pinocchio until the very end. I think it's it's a bit of a toss up right now. Who do you think will win? So at this moment, I would say Hillbilly Elegy, just given what we've said about prosthetics, making Glenn Close... Into Mama <laughs> with prosthetics. I feel like that's what we see in this category. We definitely can't count Ma Rainey's Black Bottom out given its Critics' Choice win, but right now I will say Hillbilly Elegy. I mean, if we're going to give Glenn her Oscar, this is like a way of doing that, yeah. kind of, <laughs> without actually doing it. So that was our latest installment of the Contender series. We hope that. Maybe that was helpful in forming your predictions or at least maybe in learning a little bit more about these categories that I feel like we don't talk about maybe as much as bigger categories like picture or director acting or any of those. And we'll have a few more of these coming. I think we have four more until the Oscars, until our predictions. This definitely, for me, does help break down each category and each nominee and looking at what each collaborator has done in the past and in trying to figure out maybe where the academy goes and maybe that helped a little today maybe that didn't we'll just see Mm -hmm. how the race continues i think it'll be exciting as we get some of these guild ceremonies and winners along the way so the makeup and hairstyling guild will be happening on april 3rd which is next saturday and then the costume guild ceremony is happening on april 13th and then the sound editors golden reel awards are being held on April 16th, followed by the Cinema Audio Society for Sound Mixers, which is on April 17th. So those are pretty late, I think about a week before the Oscars. Yeah, so some last minute predictions can happen (laughs) then Mm -hmm. for everybody. But I always look forward to the Guild Awards and finding out what can happen. Next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be going into the next installment of our Contender series where we will be talking about production design, visual effects, cinematography, and editing. So four more technical categories, which is really exciting. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next week. Stay safe and wear your masks. Yeah, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Stay safe and wear your masks.